Hello everyone, welcome to episode 807 of Cold Wave Soundcheck, I'm Aaron Pollock. This year we're chatting with the performers of the Cold Waves 8 Festival, running Thursday, September 19th through Sunday the 22nd at Metro and Smart Bar in Chicago. This year's performers include Popple Eat Itself, Test Department, Filter, Chemlab, How Job, Severed Heads, Pig, and many, many more. Head to coldwaves.net for the full lineup and ticket links. This week we're chatting with Friday Metro headliners Bon Harris and Douglas McCarthy. This is Nitzer Ed.
you guys are childhood friends, yeah? Yeah. We are All right, take yeah. me way back. Where, where did it start? It started in, uh, in a county called Essex uh, in England. We were all skateboarders, so Bond was, was in a different village, but there were like three or four skateboarders in our village and then three or four skateboarders in Great Baddow, which was Bond's oh, village. Yeah. So then we all skateboarded and then started listening to... I mean, we were all listening to music anyway, even quite young because we've got older siblings and just, yeah, you know, and, and music in, the accessibility of music in the, in, in the UK was quite good, you know, growing up, there were, you know, there was the Mark Boland show, so you'd like see David Bowie on Mark Boland, it was like normal, you know, so not, it was kind of like a kid show. Yeah. <laughs> it's really weird. It's the coolest kid show ever. Yeah, exactly, oh, yeah. yeah. But you, we didn't know that there weren't shows like that, so... We kind of grew up with all of that. The day I met Dave, I was doing something in the playground with some kids and Dave came up behind me and hit me on the head with a spirit level. <laughs> and, uh, you can see a pattern. Yeah. Yeah. Day, yeah. yeah. So Dave showed his affection in, uh, you know, odd ways. Yeah. <laughs> Physical, but not necessarily pleasant. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah. So, so kind of Dave was the... Was the Catalyst, yeah, really. Yeah, the, 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 the middleman in all of this. Yeah. And then we started going to shows at a really young age, actually. I mean, I was 13, 12, probably, saw Adam mm. Yance and Susan the Banshees were playing. There used to be a circuit of movie theatres, the Odeon movie theatre, and bands would do Odeon tours of the whole of the country. So it meant that they would get booked into places like Chelmsford, which was the nearest sort of town to us. So you'd see these bands that you wouldn't, not, you know, you'd normally have to be in London to see, but they'd do these Odeon theatre tours. Mm-hmm. And so we saw quite a lot of bands there. So then we started going to London. And there were, there were never any, um, back then, I don't know now what, what it's like, but there was never any age restrictions on anything. So you could go at any age yeah. and actually get drinks at the bar normally. Yeah. <laughs> it was a pretty loose operation. I missed so many shows because they were 21 or older. Right? Exactly. No, that's what most people said. There's actually, there's people that, yeah... Of friends of ours, you know, we live in LA, so lots of friends, you know, that's their childhood stories yeah. of just being so pissed off about not being able to see yeah. shows. Yeah. And um, we started experimenting with, with doing our own stuff, had like some rudimentary synths and some electronic, you know, sort of uh, effects pedals and stuff and a drum machine yeah. and started just messing about. Yeah, whatever we could collect for cheap, really, you know, if, like, I remember getting a an electro harmonics memory man delay pedal off a, off a guitarist in a local blues band because he thought it was broken but all that was wrong with it was that screws had come out of the bass plate. Nice. I got it for 10, 10 pounds. <laughs> you know, Quite expensive again Ludicrous for, uh, for yeah. a memory man. It worked perfectly. Yeah. scratched up and battered but it was perfect. You know. We were still in high school. Dave left because he went straight to work for his dad's construction company. But Bond stayed on for a bit at school in what we call sixth form, which is the kind of higher level. But when you finish school, like you said, right. kind of like, you know, pre-college thing. Mm-hmm. And I was a year below them. Really, literally, when we started the band, I was, I was still in high school. Um, but we talked to a friend of ours who was this, like, legendary old punk you know, from sort of early seventies, one of the sort of first punks in the in the town. He uh, he managed the uh, the YMCA club, 
that was there and he lived in the flat above that so we'd spoken to him and he said that when we wanted to we could do a show there so we uh, rehearsed um, every Saturday in Bond's parents' living room uh, for a year. <laughs> yeah, just to make sure make it was sure right. Got it right. Those are good parents. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they put up with a lot. Yeah, they used to take the dog out for like three hours. <laughs> it was really loud by that point as well. We yeah, bought quite a lot of amps and yeah, and we had like loads of bits of metal and <laughs> we had this this bin, John the bin that that. Uh, lived at Doug's house for a while and then became part of the band equipment so yeah it was it was properly loud yeah horrific really but yeah. uh yeah and then when we actually did the gig we were using we had one SH-101 and we'd we'd we hadn't experienced any kind of uh, voltage discrepancies having it plugged into the mains and we got to the gig and it was it was fine actually. I think in soundcheck it was only once the gig started and yeah. it just went fucking potty yeah, and it was why. like so it was completely out of tune. Everything was wrong. Yeah. So we had this terrible, horrible time. We did. First gig's packed as well. Yeah. Good. Yeah, it was uh yeah, still got a bit of PTSD <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was And it was the first time uh, yeah, so it was our very first show. So that's how many years ago now? That first gig. It's got to be 82. Yeah. Right, so 30, 37 years? Uh, something like that. You know, we were quite gregarious young men and uh, piss-taking, basically. And then we got up on stage and, you know, there was something going wrong that we didn't understand with the, with the, the SH-101. And then, because it was a packed room, I literally couldn't move from holding the mic stand. So I stood dead right, dead upright. I just stared straight ahead because I couldn't look anyone in the face. Like it was all of our bravado suddenly just got washed away. Yeah. yeah. But it was a good learning, steep learning curve, but a good one. Yeah. And it prepared us for working with technology for the rest of After our lives that, <laughs> you know if you're going to work with technology on stage then you know expect the unexpected mm-hmm. so did you guys think that you'd still be doing the same thing together God, 37 man. years later I don't know what we thought really <laughs> I think we really gave too much thought to the future we were very committed to what we were doing so it was like sort of we were just, I think, a lot of the time just focused on the next goal or the, the, yeah, the, the medium-term goals of just getting the band established. And Yeah, I think we kind of like had a list of things that we wanted to do. It was a fairly short list. It was like play more shows in the area, play shows in London, make a record, play shows in abroad if it was possible and as it, as all of those happened then we you know we had another set of things that yeah. we'd want to do so we just kept kind of going yeah. and that period of time was kind of interesting in, in terms of the, the record industry because it really weren't that many bands about um, so it was not I wasn't so I wouldn't say it was like really easy to get signed because there were plenty of people that had hard times so yeah. we did initially yeah. but because there were so few bands around, if you were playing enough, yeah. then you got the record companies were interested because it, it really was nothing like what it later became. Yeah, that, so that's the opposite of what it is now. Yeah, exactly. Too many. Yeah, yes. there was definitely more space, and if you had, you know, any anything like an identifiable thing going on, be that a musical sound or an image or something else, 
you, you could, you know, push push your way to the front. It was possible to do that. Whereas, like you say now, it's you know, yeah, take your pick of like a, about one hundred and fifty yeah. bands that sound the same. I mean, even if I mean there was, you know, back then there were bands that as we were developing and you know sort of becoming bigger, we learned about other bands that were similar sounding. So you know, yeah. Things like Front Two Four Two, and uh, I mean, this was pre Nine Inch Nails, but mm. um, certainly Al Jurgensen, yeah. you know. And then around about as we'd already started, when Liebach were first releasing uh, Twelve Inches, and then there was you know Revco were starting, you know, that all that stuff was starting sort of later. Yeah. So then, you know, but the thing was that even within this group of bands that had something, you know, something similar in the sound or approach, there was a marked difference between everyone.
I saw it downstairs. Pylon Records has this really nice box set yeah. mm-hmm. uh, with the colored vinyl, the six yeah. albums. Yeah. It looks like a lot of love went into that. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Pete has taken a, a great, great deal of care and attention in, in putting it together. Peter Black. Yeah, Peter Black from Pylon. Pete is a huge music fan and, and has been able to t- sort of turn his passion into, you know, productive reality by working with bands that he likes and he admires. So um, he took it upon himself to uh, to purchase the rights, the US rights for the Knights of stuff from that, the parent label that owned it. Universal. Universal. And was, you know, like sort of pretty much on his own course to 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 do this to do this box set um but he approached us you know it seems like more like a seal of approval but since he was doing it anyway it, it seemed to make sense to for us to be involved and to and to contribute in some way to it and you know we had some input some input into the design we obviously did the the uh, booklet text put that together which was really good fun actually like getting ready to go out on tour again sort of like reviewing our career and trying to remember exact years that things happened and the chronology it was it was quite a fun few days putting that together and Peter would show us you know artwork in progress proposals ideas so yeah he did put a lot of um, care and attention into it yeah I saw you guys had some visa issues for David and Simon to come over for this eastern part of the U.S. tour. This seems to be a thing that's happening yeah, all the time. It does. Yeah. So tell me about you know how frustrating that is, and, and what it's you guys super have to frustrating, and it's around. super. It's just it's just it's just really disappointing. You know, we'd already we'd set the rules in motion. What seemed what would have been previous years I mean we don't have to worry about it because we live here but in when we were you know previous years when we would come over to the states or have crew or whatever come with us or new you know new members from Europe in the band which we did a few different guys it would be a matter of I mean a lot of time you just give it to a service and yeah. then like give your passport to a service and then like a week later you got your visa right. was in there so I think that obviously is not like that post nine eleven anyway. But then, with the current climate, there seems to be just a kind of, you know, there's a lot of a, a lot of attention to everybody that comes rather than like a carte blanche. You'll be fine. So it just it's just a long process, and it took a lot longer than our booking agents really assumed it would. But yeah, I mean, DAF have had a couple of tours cancelled. Um, and it, you know, there's DJs we know that have had the same problem. It's just like there's definitely a crackdown on on immigration in general, and unfortunately, uh, musicians in particular, but I think any creative people, like this friend of ours from Mexico City, this amazing ceramics artist, actually had a, a visa and everything. Um, from a gallery in Texas and then at the border was detained and they were going to kick him out the next day and it was just like there was no common sense to it whatsoever but yeah, it's the is... most frustrating thing about it in terms of the music context because you know if you've got American clubs American promoters American public waiting for a specific thing American booking agent yeah, American yeah, yeah. like 
merchandise that's made in California. It's <laughs> yeah. the, the American economy. Yeah. So it's doesn't... totally counterproductive, you know, but like a lot of bureaucracies trying to get them to see like, oh, well, maybe if you had a system where like we propose the shows, we get the promoters and the bookers to all do a deal memo, give it to you and say, everyone wants to do this, will you give them the work permits? But the way the system works, you, you have, have to, to have put everything booked. in place and book it before you can get the permit, which is just backwards. Yeah, no. it doesn't make sense. So we're hoping, I mean, it looks like, so it's basically over the course of the next, it seemingly the next few weeks, which is even more frustrating because it's <laughs> like so close. close. Yeah, it's too old it's going to be yeah. it's going to be resolved in time for September, but it's still just like I mean we've we've it, it's a, a lot of work for for Bon actually because Dave and Simon way we'd we'd started rehearsing and then did some warm up shows specifically to try and figure out kind of low key ish or one there was, we did one very low key show in London. And then we did a couple of shows in Sweden where with it's you know, we'd have to really do make a, a mess of things <laughs> for yeah. the fans there not to love it. Right. So luckily we hadn't made a mess of anything, it was really good. But it was the whole purpose of doing that, those warm up shows was to see how things are working on stage. So there's a few tweaks to be done, which Dave and Bon were working on. And then suddenly it was just like we started to come to the realization not that long ago, like maybe yeah. like a month, yeah. a month ago, that it's not going to be probably in time. That's so fine. then Bon had to reconfigure everything instead of it being three people operating uh, the machines, then it's just him. So, <laughs> so right. it was a bit of a bit of a swerve yeah. in the uh, prep. Yeah, so it's really disappointing. I mean, luckily we are able to adapt, you know, like obviously Doug and I have always been the core of everything we've done. So even when we toured with more people, it's, you know, it's we've been at the centre of it and certainly at the centre of the recordings. So in practical terms, it was absorbable, but, you know, in, in emotional terms, it's just massively disappointing. And, you know, like, you know, even days like today, knowing that Dave's having to sit at home and just watch videos from the show, right. just feel so bad for him, you know? Yeah. So, uh, or both of them, you know? Yeah. So it's just like, they're having to watch it from a distance and, you know, because it's just Doug and I as a two-piece at the moment, which is kind of the first time we've ever done that as well. Yeah. We've always had additional members. But the overall sense is that, you know, we're holding it down well. So, so you know, that's good, but we are looking forward to getting back, isn't it? It's a lot of fun, you know. We're old friends and everything else, so so the warm up shows we did before before right. Christmas was just a lot of fun, being able to interact with more people. So it's been what, like ten years since Nisarab has played the US. Just must be some somewhere around. Somewhere around so how, how's the reaction been for the the couple shows we've done so far? We've done three shows. They've been amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We did Boston, uh, Brooklyn, and. Uh, uh, Montreal last night like one show after the other so this is our fourth day and fourth show and then you're heading back to Brooklyn because the first one's we do out. another one in Brooklyn yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah they've been amazing and it's a really good mix of, of the audience so far like there's a lot of young people which is something that we've noticed actually before even with the warm up shows a yeah. lot of young kids that have definitely you know I mean they were definitely not born <laughs> for, for virtually most of our back catalogue <laughs> but yeah it's kind of a thing you know popularity of synths and modular synths in particular I think it's 
something that's you know gained a lot more relevance with a newer newer bunch you know newer crowd are you guys thinking any more new music or are you happy with what you have to do well some of the idea of coming out with Dave and Simon and doing the show is the way we were doing them is that we, at some point we would develop an approach where we could improvise a lot more on certain songs I mean you know some of the songs are very structured and they're very vocal driven so you don't want to mess with them too much and also you do want to keep them recognisable for the fans you know that's kind of more relevant on the early shows when you're just coming back but you know if we play more frequent, frequently I think a bit of variation in the tracks and We've got so much material, even within certain tracks, you know, say from Belief onwards, they're quite layered. So you can actually strip quite a lot off them and do completely different versions. So I think we're happy for now to, to re, you know, to kind of have the live experience be where new things are heard. And we'll just go from there. We've, we've got other projects that we're doing, other musical projects like Blackline, um, you know, visual projects, film and animation things. So, so we, you know, one lesson we've learned over the years is trying to keep Nights Rev manageable because it very quickly just runs away with itself, right. and before you know it, you're just you're swamped. So we want to try and keep it so that it's fun.
On this episode, you heard Join in the Chant, Blood Money, and Getting Closer. Nitzer Ebb can be found at facebook.com slash official. Our opening music is Madmaker by Acumen Nation. Our closing music is Messiah by Splinter Group. Subscribe to the show through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Join us next week as we chat with Daniel Meyer from How Job. Our closing segment each week is dedicated to the inspiration for Cold Waves, Jamie Duffy. Here's Dan Simzak sharing his Jamie story. So I would say this was probably about 2005, 2006. It was a few years after I had started doing Metal Mondays at Neo. I'm up there DJing. It's you know somewhere between 1 and 2 o'clock in the morning. I don't really remember what time it was, but it was the typical time that he got out of work. I look out on the dance floor, and there's a table in the middle of the dance floor. And I'm like, what? And I see Jamie at the bar grabbing a bar stool and he puts it next to the table in the middle of the dance floor. Goes back to the bar, grabs a drink, comes out, sits in the middle of the dance floor, puts his drink on the table and then just starts shouting requests at me. And he's like, this is the best place in the room to listen to music and I want to listen to music. And this is the way that, you know, for a while that I would be trying to play new music for him. And he would come out and he'd be like, oh, that was great. And the, the mix was fantastic. You know, he'd be picking apart the music. Sometime had gone by that he had been doing this. And he comes in and we're actually busy. And there are people on the dance floor dancing. <laughs> he walks to the dance floor and he, he was pouting like a four-year-old. Then he went to this table people out on the dance floor and listen to music that he had to go sit at the bar 